I'm Christopher Calloway, and this is Creator Talks, the show where I interview writers and artists working in comic books and in other mediums. And today my guest is an artist, Dean Kotz. He's from Pennsylvania originally. He now lives in Brooklyn, New York, and he's the artist for an upcoming series through Dynamite Entertainment, Warlord of Mars Attacks. That's right, a mashup between John Carter, Warlord of Mars, and the Mars Attacks property. I've been a fan of Dean since I saw his work on the webcomic Red Panda, and I met him at Baltimore Comic Con a few years back, picked up some art, so I'm really excited to have him on the show today to talk in more detail about his career. Dean has a lot of work coming up. He's doing covers for Dynamite Entertainment, and he has another project in the works for Dark Horse Comics that he can't quite talk a whole lot about right now, but it is a crime noir, so I am very interested in that book as well. We can talk more about a series that he has coming up through Alterna Comics this fall. Plus, we will talk about Dean's education in art, his first paid art job, and why he likes working in the horror and noir genres the most. This show is brought to you by The Comic Book Shop in Wilmington, Delaware, at 1855 Marsh Road at the Plaza 3 Shopping Center, where comics are for everyone. Just be nice. And so, without further ado, I present to you my last podcast being released from Delaware. I'll be in Las Vegas next time. Please join me and Dean Kotz, artist of Warlord of Mars Attacks, a five-part series starting in June through Dynamite Entertainment. Here now on Creator Talks. Welcome to Creator Talks. Hey, thanks, Chris. Great to be here. Great to have you. Have you done many podcasts before? Uh, no. Maybe one? Uh, how much of an interview guy. I don't have much to say usually, but... Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm sure you have plenty to say. You're in Brooklyn now, is that right? Yeah, I'm in Brooklyn. I was in Philly for, oh, geez, like 18 years or so, but I moved up here. It's going to be five years now. Slowly becoming a New Yorker. Now, do people ask you, why'd you move to Brooklyn? Why'd you leave Philly? Because I'm asking. <laughs> <laughs> My girlfriend got a job at a record store up here, and so there aren't a lot of record stores around in general. So when no. she got a job offer up here for a record, at a record store, we thought we'd move up here and give it a shot. Luckily, I could work from anywhere doing comics, so uh, it worked out. How's the record shop working out? Actually, she just left it recently because she got a job working for Warner Brothers Records, but she couldn't turn that down. No. But the record store is actually doing well. I mean, they sell mostly vinyl. It's in Williamsburg. Surprisingly, it's holding on, which is good. Now, are you into vinyl recordings? Uh, I used to be a lot more. I got kind of burned out on it. She's addicted to them. She buys records like all nonstop all the time. So we have a lot but I don't have time to listen to records. And if I do, flipping a record can be a pain in the butt sometimes. You know, some people love it. They love that uh, experience of interacting with the music. Well, putting the needle on the record and all that. I don't really have, A, the space for it, B, the time, because with me, it's music on the go. You know, I grab my phone, I go work out, cut in the lawn, whatever, but I just don't have the time to sit and just listen and have to flip the record over and everything. So it's just, I mean, when I was younger, <laughs> all I had was records and I loved them and I had a bunch of them. I mean, Beatles, Led Zeppelin, had a garage sale at my parents' house. 
They went out the door. And this is before vinyl was hot. Again, people just ate them up. Those Beatles records, they sell pretty well. They're like in the 20s and $30 range, which is pretty good for a youth record. Oh, yeah. If you have the original pressing, I didn't. You know, this is like probably umpteenth pressing, but you've had the original ones. Yeah, they, they go for a lot. Well, let's start with your education. And you went to school pretty close to my area. You went to Westchester University? Yeah, I studied painting. Well, I went there to study anthropology. But then after a while, I was like my old art self kicked in and I was like I don't want to do this anymore I just do what I'd like to do so I, I switched to painting anthropology now that's interesting what got you interested in that in the first place religion was really interesting to me and I thought it was really cool to study the cultural effects of religion throughout the world and stuff like that and like you know the history of that sort of thing and just cultural studies in general was just really interesting to me I thought it'd be a cool way to maybe find something to create art about later at a certain point the I realized I'm going to have to start going on digs and stuff like that. And I was like, I don't know if I want to do that. <laughs> Be out in the heat and the dirt and everything. <laughs> I'm wondering, anything that you learned, the little bit that you might have studied in anthropology, does that help you with some of your art? Did some of that rub off so you have a little more knowledge in certain areas when you're creating? I wish I could say so, but I, I, don't, I didn't get that far into it that I really, a lot stuck with me. So a lot comes from within. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what kind of electives did you take, if you remember? I can't go back and remember what I took while I was elective, but do you remember? I don't remember. Uh, an art major, you always take all this stuff, like, you know, sculpture and stuff like that. Even things that you don't think will have a use later, but they usually come in handy somehow. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of a blur. <laughs> I wouldn't know either, except for that where I went, I was at St. Joe's um, up in Philly. And I went for psychology. Brilliant move. <laughs> Very useful for me. <laughs> uh, and you could take a minor. And I'm like, well, you had really two easy choices, theology or philosophy, because you had to take three credits anyway. So, well, three more. So I took philosophy. Again, that has served me tremendously well. You know, <laughs> I mean, it changes the way you think. And uh, it was interesting as all get out. That's why I remember my electives. Maybe this, you might remember, was there a class of yours that was a favorite of yours that you really, really look forward to going to? And why was that? I think figure drawing uh, was my favorite. Uh, great professor, Gus Sermis. Um, I shouldn't say this, but there weren't a lot of great professors at the school, but I managed to stumble upon one. And I, he just really inspired me and taught me a lot about art. I loved his class. I ended up taking the class. I would take it without credit after the fact, just kept taking it just because I enjoyed it being in it so much. And he let me, he didn't care. Now, what was so great about your teacher? What was it about his teaching method or what he taught? that you like so much? He was really no-nonsense kind of art mechanic kind of guy. He wasn't pretentious. He looked like a mechanic. He just was like really like, I don't know, just like an old curmudgeon guy that just anytime you get a little bit full of yourself or a little precious or pretentious, he would just knock you right down and set you back. And I really learned a lot from him. He just really inspired me. And, and so I, that's to this day, I'm like, I was, when people start getting a little too artsy fartsy, I'm like, you know, just Cut the crap. We're, we're just making stuff. Just trying to do a good job, you know? I always ask people this who went to art school because there's people thinking about it. They're trying to decide. Someone says to you, I'm thinking about going to art school. What advice can you give me? What should I do to prepare? And what else can I do besides practice really hard and work on my art? What else can I do to prepare myself mentally for art school? Unfortunately, I usually say don't go to art school because I think a lot of times art <laughs> Our school just kind of reinforces some bad habits. I think most of the time it's better just to really study on your own and, and just focus on, you know, constant draftsmanship and getting better at the nuts and bolts of it. 
by your, on your own. And then later you can maybe take classes that'll fine tune this stuff. If you're going to go to art school, you just got to learn to take criticism. I, I think my stuff sucks half the time anyway, so I'm okay with criticism. I want to get better. But uh, a lot of kids in my class, the teacher would come up to them and they just wouldn't understand what he was trying to get at when he would criticize them. Mm. He's not trying to put you down or put the work down or he's not even really saying it's bad work. He's just trying to make you look at it from a different perspective. I think that's what kids need to learn. It's better to hear it there than to get out there and try and get a job and then hear it for the first time. You know, I mean, your parents are going to be like, that's great. Let's put it on the fridge. Uh, but for to have someone who's objective to really give you some good feedback. And it is tough. I mean, it takes, it takes some discipline. It takes some uh, humbleness to accept that criticism. But realize it's only for the better. And better to have that criticism while you're going to school before you get out there and have to start. I mean, you're still going to get criticism, it's regardless, but the sooner the better. Yeah, definitely. No, you're totally right. Do you remember your first paid art job? Was that The Black Coat, your first comic, your first paid comic? Well, no, my first paid comics work was for um, Trailer Park of Terror. I've actually become really good friends with the publishers. They were an anthology horror comic out of Reading. They still periodically put out a book um, every couple of years, but... Uh, it's not their main focus anymore. I don't know how they approached me, and they just so happened that I was in Philly at the time, and they were in Reading, and uh, they asked me to do a couple little short stories for them. That definitely changed the whole game for me because I was like, wow, I can actually make money doing this. I didn't think I could. Matt, was that your intent to work in comics, work on comics, or was it something else when you graduated? When I was went to school, I was focused on fine art for a while. And then right about the end of my schooling, I was like, I don't think I want to do this. I, my first love is always comics. I'll try that again. So I started slowly, you know, picking away at it and trying to get little jobs here and there. And so when I finally got that first job with them, I was like, well, maybe I do have something. I can do comics. Until you do your first comic, you really don't, you know, it just seems unreachable. It seems impossible. How do you feel about doing it now? I mean, have you learned a lot over the years about layout, pacing? Have you learned a lot since graduating, just being in the field about converting the words of the writer to a visual medium, to a, a comic book with the panels and the pacing that's needed to fit within a certain space? Definitely. Yeah, it's something that you just have to keep doing. It's not something that I don't even know if you can really even teach it to people because it's just a matter of learning to use your imagination in a certain way for the medium. Until you sit down and try to do it, you really you can't learn it, I don't think. And then just by doing it more and more, you get it gets easier and easier. And plus, it depends on the script too. I mean, I just, sometimes I'll get scripts from some writers, and I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. And other times, it's effortless. You know, the script is just so descriptive, and it really inspires your imagination. So. Yeah, I guess like anything else, if it's a good fit, you know, like you might have a certain job, like, yeah, it's okay, that's fine, even like a career. But then there's others like, oh, yeah, that's it. That really fits my personality, the way I think. That's going to be easier for me. It's not going to feel so much like work. But I guess, yeah, it just depends upon the match that's made between you and the other creator. Definitely, definitely. You know, your first work that I read, and this was just going through digital comics, which I read print and digital, was Red Panda. And... I met you at Baltimore, and you mostly are writing horror comics, crime comics. Are these two of your favorite genre? I definitely like the horror as a genre. I've always been attracted to that. And the pulpy stuff, I just love it. I don't know. I mean, as I get older, I just drift more and more away from superheroes and stuff like that. And I just, the weirder stuff, the quirkier stuff really calls to me. I don't know. I'm the same way. And I'm sure fans are like going, oh my God, you don't like superheroes. I do. I do. I still have all my superhero comics, but... I'm the same way. I'm starting to drift more towards horror and crime noir. And it's something I haven't really explored in the past 
as a comic reader, but I'm doing more and more now. So for me, it feels something fresh and new and new territory that I can really dig into more and take a deeper dive since I haven't. And I'm wondering, your favorites, what are some of your favorite horror and crime stories? And let's start with movies. Is there a particular movie or movies of horror and crime that you really liked either you know, growing up or more recently? I mean, horror, I, I always go back to Halloween. Is like, it's one of my all-time favorite mm-hmm. horror movies. And I think about that movie a lot. I don't know why. That movie just really sticks with me. And unfortunately, I don't watch many movies anymore. I don't have much. I barely have time to. I, I don't know if I have the commitment to sit down for two hours anymore. So if I do, it's usually binge watching some Game of Thrones or something like that. <laughs> I know. It's really hard to find the time. I have to sometimes watch things in segments. Like a, right. If it's an hour and a half, two hour movie, I still have to go see. At the time we're having this conversation, I still have to see Avengers Endgame because three hours is a big chunk of time for me. And it's really hard to find three consecutive hours to sit down and watch a movie. As badly as I want to see it, I have to wait for the right timing and avoid spoilers. <laughs> oh, yeah. Good luck with that. <laughs> and how about books? Are there certain books, horror, crime? That you just love. I'm a big Lovecraft fan. I'm, I mean, I definitely dig all those guys like uh, August Derleth and uh, Clark Ashton Smith. A lot of the like the older, the pulpier horror stuff I really like. Same thing. I don't as much as I like. I mean, that's my dream would be to have free time to sit and pull out my big volume of Lovecraft and read some of the stories I haven't gotten to yet. But it's it's just it's hard to find the time. What were some of the comics you read? And but let's start with the first comic you read. Can you remember that first comic? And what was your favorite comic? I think my first comic was uh, one of those giant, remember those giant size, oversized tabloid ones that DC and Marvel would put out. I had a had a Star Wars one and I think I had a Justice League one. And it was like an old, um, oh, geez, I don't remember who drew the Justice League issue. But I think it was it was just a, re, I think it was a novelization of the first Star Wars movie was one of them. I think that was Marvel, Whitman or something. I know they had a couple of different editions that went out. I think I have both of them somewhere down the basement. But uh, yeah, I do remember those. I love those books. They were so cool. In fact, the first one that I got of those giant size editions, there was an ad in the comic for it that I was reading. I think it was like an Avengers reprint. And it had like, uh, I think the first appearance of the Vision in it, or like the wedding of the Vision and Scarlet Witch, and appearance of the Black Panther. And so I cut out the coupon in the comic, right? And I sent it in to get this book. I would never cut out a coupon today. No. But that's what I did back then. And, and yeah, it was those giant sized treasury editions. I love those. I love those. I still look for those and try to add those to my collection. And were you buying comics on a weekly basis? Were you going to the local convenience stores, hitting the spinner racks? How did you go about getting your books? It wasn't a comic shop around in my town. And uh, one drugstore had a spinner rack. If my mom had to go there, I would sometimes tag along and manage to get something off the rack. But the nearest grocery store would carry, for some reason, they'd randomly carry one or two issues of things. They always had Alpha Flight for some reason. Hmm. I don't know why. I don't know, who, I don't know who was ordering these books. You know, it was, it was alphabetical. <laughs> maybe. maybe. And they also had uh, the Robotech, the Kamiko Robotech stuff. So I don't know why. It was just a very random, eclectic, I don't know who the distributor was. Maybe they just threw in some random comics for free. But I remember reading Alpha Flight. Like That was the one book I would get a lot of issues of because they always had it. But it wasn't consistent, though, back at the time. Just be a couple no. here, a couple there. Yeah. You, know, you just had to put the story together in your head. You don't really know the whole story. You know, back then, you really could. I mean, you could jump in just about anywhere and kind of figure out what was going on. The way the books were written, there weren't trades yet collecting the books. So they had to write each one like it was the first time somebody was jumping in. So there had to be more exposition 
and kind of like what each person can do and who they are and their background. You can kind of like weave that into the story. So you could figure out in most cases what was going on. It was frustrating because you couldn't always count on getting the next issue. And if you miss it, how are you going to get it? But it was exciting because you didn't know what was coming up. At the end of the issue, you'd see next dish and some kind of blurb about it. And that was it, if you were lucky. Yeah, definitely. I miss those dense, exposition-heavy books sometimes. It kept you busy for a long time. Mm -hmm. I would pour over a book and read everything. I mean, I read the ads over and over again. I'd read the the letters page over and over. I read the whole thing like so many times. And just, I don't know, there's something dense about that I really miss. Yeah, me too. I would do the same thing. I'd read the book. I was so excited to get the issue. I would read it really fast. And then I'll go back and read it again a second time very slowly. And I would read everything, the letters page, the soapbox, whatever. Letters from the editor didn't matter. And I read them to death. It would take me like, and I, I'm not a speed reader, but it would take me like 20 minutes to read a comic. And if it was like a Silver Age, maybe a half an hour. They were very dense back then, but I wish we kind of had that in a way now, only because when you read so much, I'll forget what I read last issue. So like, where are we in this issue? And unless they have some kind of previously or some exposition, I have a hard time remembering, <laughs> you know? I mean, things are meant to be consumed in chunks nowadays, binging everything we consume. Oh, I, yeah, definitely. I don't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, what you do have to do is a lot of drawing because it seems like to me you're on fire right now. I mean, you're everywhere I look, I'm seeing your name pop up on covers, on comics. It's exciting. And what started this, at least from my perspective, this burst of activity? What got this all rolling for you? It seems like a lot more is going on for you. Is that true or is that just I'm misperceiving things? You've been doing other things too. I don't know. It's a weird confluence of all these uh, couple different books I'm working on are just like at the same time the production is speeding up. So I'm just, I don't, I kind of have to juggle a lot right now, but it's fun. I mean, I, get, I always say the more work you have, the more you get done. So I don't know. I'm doing a thing for Dark Horse that I can't really talk about. I'm doing a book for Insight, so I can't talk about <laughs> Well, that's all the time we have. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll and talk then, uh, around it. We'll talk around it. <laughs> and Nate Cosby hit me up on Twitter um, out of the blue. He was like, hey, are you interested in doing this book, uh, Warlord of Mars Attacks? And it was just an amazing idea. I love John Carter. I love Burroughs. And I love Mars Attacks. It couldn't turn it down, so I just had to find a way to fit it into my schedule. And it's a blast. I mean, Jeff Parker's writing it. And, I'm a big fan of his. It's just a super fun story. So I, I couldn't turn it down. So it's more of like some projects came up and I just, I'm too stupid or, uh, to turn them down or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is a good one. I saw this and I was like, oh, I can't wait to see this because I go through the catalog and there's some things that just make me go, oh my God, this is great. And just the title, I was like, genius. I don't know who came up with that, but that title is just... <laughs> I can see everyone have some fun with this. And you said you love both franchises, The Warlord of Mars, John Carter, and Mars Attacks. And what was your first exposure to those? Did you read the books? Did you see them in comics? Was it the trading cards? How did you first encounter those? I think I read the John Carter comics first. I mean, I think the Marvel series was the first I stumbled on. A few years ago, I really got into digging up the old uh, the, the DC's... Uh, versions and uh back in like weird world not it was it weird worlds no that was somebody else that was uh the other properties but uh i've read i think the first two books they kind of get to be the same the books kind of blend together with the john carter books i mean burroughs in general kind of repeats himself a lot but uh it's the genesis of all modern sci-fi fantasy you know it's the root of it all it's so interesting to me my first exposure to it was the comics it was the marvel comics and uh 
That was a great series. In fact, over the years, as I've had books come and go in my life, those I've held on to because the art on those books was so good. I mean, I know they had like Gil Kane, I think Ernie Chan, Rudy yeah. Nebrez. They had a whole bunch of really good artists. It was my first exposure to it, and I really liked it. It was around the time of Star Wars when it first came out. So I guess anything space-related was pretty hot, and Marvel was jumping on that. But they also did, uh, at the same time, Tarzan. They also put that out in comic book format, and that was John Buscema. So that was really right. cool. But Mars Attacks, I don't know much about. I know there were trading cards. I know there was a movie. I haven't seen it. Looks pretty weird. But um, <laughs> did you have exposure to that? It's been in pop culture for decades. When I've gone back and looked at the cards, I'm like, I know these images. I've seen them somewhere. I don't know where I did, where I saw them when I was a kid. But I know that, I don't know if they were just around or friends had them or what. But uh, those original Topps playing cards are just frightening. They're so creepy and weird and just seem like they came from another, literally another planet. I don't know. I've seen the movie. The movie's awesome. I, I really enjoyed it. And there were some comics, but I never really read any of those. I think when Topps Comics had their little run, I think they put out some and uh, I know IDW was doing something. The last series that uh, Chris Schweitzer was drawing for Dynamite, that was a lot of fun. If you get a chance, you should pick that up. Yeah, oh, thanks for the recommendation. Yeah, the cards, I mean, it's just, they're images that I think just everybody has seen somewhere and they know it. So, it's an easy sell. People are familiar with it. We mentioned a few of the other projects you can't talk about because I was going to ask you about, you don't have to get into the details. This is only what's been out there available for public consumption. It's a true crime type story for Dark Horse. So I'm looking forward to that because this is the other area that you're working a lot, crime. Do you have convention appearances planned for the rest of this year? Have you looked that far ahead? Will you have time this year to even get out? I probably shouldn't. I probably should stay home and work. Um, I'm going to be in Buffalo uh Later this month, and uh, for the Nickel City, it's the first time I'm doing that show. They were kind enough to ask me to come up, and that should be a lot of fun. Always, I always do Baltimore, and I can get into New York. It's always a crapshoot getting a table in New York Comic Con, but I'll definitely try to do that as well. You'll probably have a better shot this year. Say, don't you know who I am? I do Warlord of Mars Attacks. Oh, yeah, please, right this way, sir. It's tough, man. I don't know. They're pretty strict. Yeah, I know. It, it is tough. Back to the work that you do. You've done some stuff for gaming. So did you grow up enjoying and playing Dungeons & Dragons? Yes, definitely. I mean, I've always loved RPGs, tabletop RPGs. I wish I had a gaming group around here or some time to do it. But uh, it's been a while since I've played. But I, I grew up playing, I think it was like second edition D&D and then a little bit of 3.5 and then played some other spell jam or stuff like that. Weird, weird uh, RPGs back in the day. I'd love that the whole storytelling aspect of that. It's definitely a different beast. It's fun. Are you that selective about your work? Because it seems like everything that you're working on, you love, which is important. But it seems like there are topics that you're really passionate about rather than just taking say a job are you rather selective no not really i really i as i said i rarely turn anything down it just so happens that people who want me to work for them i just i don't know they make stuff i like <laughs> <laughs> now when you make stuff and i have some of your work are you always working with traditional tools like the pen and ink or pencil and ink or do you do digital work at all always traditional yeah i haven't gotten around to getting a, a tablet yet and learning that i like getting messy and i like the i like the feel of paper and i don't know it just seems more real to me and not to offend anyone that works digitally i mean i, I respect and i love the stuff the guys do digitally but for me personally i just i can't so just something doesn't work with me <laughs> no i get it i mean because people that work digitally i love their work too and for them i mean you know they're still creating art it doesn't matter if it's on paper or if it's on a tablet 
the skill's the same. They have to be good at what they do to make good art. There's nothing magical about the tool. It's just how they're creating it. No matter what we have in our environment, you know, we always find a way to make art. Like the cavemen put things on the walls of their caves. Other cultures have made incredible art out of the objects around them. But there is something about the tactile paper and pencil, pen and ink, plus at the end of the issue, well, you actually have the original art. It actually exists in a physical format. I'm afraid someday we won't have pages for sale of books because they won't be done physically. They'll all be digital. I think about that a lot. Uh, part of it, too, is I think when I'm working traditionally, at a certain point, it seems more done. I, I feel like it's completed. I'm afraid if I work digitally, I'd noodle with stuff endlessly and keep going with it. But at a certain point, the paper just won't let you do that. And once you put something down in ink, you got to leave it and just move on. Digital, it's so many undo, I don't know. That's right. You can save multiple versions and go back to one or click undo. So that's great, saving you a lot of time and trouble and letting you go back and say, you know what, I like the way it was before. But you are kind of committed with uh, the traditional tools of creating art. Totally. Well, this is the segment, Picking Back with the Creator. And it's really fun questions to learn more about you as a person. So my first question, when you're not working on art, what do you like to do for rest and relaxation? For the couple hours a day, I don't, I don't probably I don't watch some TV shows with my girlfriend. Uh, we like to wander around the city. We're both really into the city and we like walking. We'll wander around, we'll walk across the bridge into Manhattan or something. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe go to a brewery. Do you encounter other artists up there and hang out with them? I don't. I haven't really, um, I don't get out much. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you and your girlfriend watch TV, is there something you both can agree on to watch? Because for my wife and I, we have to both like it. You know, I mean, I have my own things I watch and she's like, I'm going to go read a book. But are there something that besides, say, Game of Thrones that you both like to watch together? She likes a lot of the same stuff. Just, I don't know, we just, we like a lot of the same stuff no matter what. Um, we've been really into the Orville lately. I don't know. It's mm -hmm. like the best thing since uh, the original Star Trek. And uh, what else do we watch? Barry's good. HBO is really knocking it out of the park these days. A lot of, they have a lot of good shows on there. They do. I haven't seen either one of the two that you mentioned, but I heard that Orville, even though it's supposed to be like a comedy, it is the best thing since Star Trek was on TV. And I've seen the ads for Barry, and uh, I think I'm making room in my schedule so I can dive into that because it looks pretty good. But yeah, I mean, we're the same way. We watch stuff on HBO, Amazon, uh, Netflix. You know, we don't get to watch much traditional television per se cable so it's just the way the way things have changed for us yeah thinking back to when you were a teenager you know 12 13 14 somewhere in there do you recall what posters and or pictures you had on the bedroom wall there was a poster uh for some reason i don't know where it came from i had a fall of the mutants promotional poster it must have been the size of a subway poster it was really rather large it was the Alan Davis, Paul Neary one where they're all laying dead on the ground, all the mutants. I had that across from my bed. And I used to, I remember staring at that a lot when I was a kid. I was like, this is the coolest. I loved Alan Davis's work. And there's something about it. They were all like, all the mutants were flat on the ground, dead, and just seemed so epic. Alan Davis is great. Yeah. And Paul Neary. Is that available somewhere on the web? Can we look that up? Does that still exist out there somewhere? I guess. It was the image, the in-house ad that they ran. That I'm sure you've seen it. And I think it's the color of the trade. Now, thinking back to a birthday of yours that stands out in your mind. Generally, these are happy memories. But for whatever reason, it stands out in your mind. Which birthday was that? I'm pretty sure it was my 11th birthday. I think I had a birthday party at Showbiz Pizza, which was like the knockoff Chuck E. Cheese. I don't know if you're familiar. <laughs> I am very familiar with Showbiz, yes. I think it was the only birthday party I ever had at 
showbiz. And uh, you got to pick a token out of one of the characters' hats. Whatever number was on that token, you got that many tokens to play the games. And I'm pretty sure I grabbed one and it said 100. So I got basically, I got like 100 quarters. I was giving them out to my friends and everything. Like I just played the rest of the day. And I remember playing the Star Wars sit-down game. I broke a million. And I got to put my initials in, and that was like the coolest thing to me. That was a great day for you. The highlights of my childhood. And I, I, I don't know. I felt like I really destroyed the Death Star, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, kids love those pizza places. My son, both of them, they like Chuck E. Cheese. They love that. And when I was a kid, I remember a Showbiz Pizza. And we also had a Pappy's Pizza in my area. Uh, we had several of them, and that they had like the games and stuff. And I remember one time I was in there for a birthday party, and this is how long ago it was. They had Battlestar Galactica on the big screen TV. You remember the big giant TVs, projection TVs? That was a big deal, watching uh, science fiction on a giant screen like that at a pizza place. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I used to say these are hypothetical questions. They're not hypothetical questions. They're actual questions, but the situations are hypothetical. So I'm going to correct that. It's a hypothetical situation. You're stuck on a desert island. You can have one book with you or a set of books if they're related in some way. But don't worry about survival. You don't have to have like survival guide, how to get off the island, that kind of thing. Something you want to read for pleasure, to pass the time, makes you feel better, makes you think, whatever. Just something to take your mind off what's going on. What's the one book you want to have with you on that desert island? I have a copy of, it's a collected edition of H. Ryder Haggard's um, novels. And it has She, Cleopatra... King Solomon's Mind and Alan Quartermain in it. And King Solomon's Mind is probably my favorite book of all time. And just having all those four books to delve into while I'm stuck on an island would be ideal for me. <laughs> Another hypothetical situation. And this will say more about who you are. Say Dynamite says, Dean, we're going to make an action figure of you. What would be your accessory? Probably a light box because I use a light box nonstop. <laughs> yeah. So with added light box, <laughs> I don't know. Do you recall uh, an odd job that you had, either during school or between art assignments, not necessarily related to comics or anything, but just something a little different, an odd job that you had to kind of earn some money to kind of keep things going? I haven't really done anything that crazy. Um, before comics, I worked a lot of retail jobs and stuff like that. But I did, in between high school and before I went to college, I worked at the post office. And that was very interesting and a really eye-opening experience, uh, seeing how the postal workers go about their jobs and, and some of the crazy characters you meet. Don't send anything valuable in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> Do things uh, disappear? <laughs> well, no, they just throw them around and the mail just all over the floor. At the end of the night, they come and sweep it up. And <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, I get a few packages like, why is this book dinged up? You know, and, and people pack things really, really well when they send them to me. And still, sometimes they just get beat up. That's why some people go digital. But um, I'm going to hang in there. I'm <laughs> still going to get print things for sure. Do you like also to read with print? Do you read anything in a digital format? Not unless I have to. I mean, I was on a trip recently and I didn't have anything. Uh, so I was reading some comics on my phone. And it was okay, but I mean, I, I definitely prefer print. I'm just a tactile kind of guy. I just like that stuff. Yeah, I try to load stuff on my tablet for when I'm, say, on a flight to read it. I just don't get that far. I just prefer to put my phone on, listen to music, 
or a podcast. Yeah. When I'm traveling, I really just can't read. The only thing I would say is a real benefit to the tablet reading for digital comics, besides saving a lot of space, is if I want to read something and my wife wants to go to sleep, I can still read without the uh, light yeah. on. You know, Is there a character that you would like to work on someday? Someone you'd like to illustrate that you haven't had a shot at yet. Who would that be? Any of the Robert E. Howard stuff would be my dream job. Conan, Solomon Kane, Cull. I just love Howard and I love I love that epic sword and sorcery stuff. Me too. And we know Marvel has Conan back, but I haven't seen anything lately of Solomon Kane or Cull. I think now might be the time. Maybe they'll hear this. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Find someone to pitch him. Have you done any of your own commissions or sketches of Conan or Cull or Solomon Kane? Yeah, quite a few. Yeah, definitely. On my website, you can probably search some of them. Yeah, I, I mean, that, if someone asks me to just draw anything I want, I'll draw Conan. He's my first guy. I don't know, something. It's, I don't know if it's the, seeing the Frazetta stuff when I was a kid, just, and that's jump started my whole love of it. But it's just, I don't know, there's something about him. Just so powerful. When you see people at cons, which of your work do they bring up most often? Which one do they mention to you? Uh, I guess Krampus is probably the most high-profile thing I've done. Uh, so I get a lot of people mentioning Krampus. But the Red Panda fans are definitely the most devoted fans. If you like Red Panda, you love Red Panda. And a lot of them come up to me, and I really enjoy talking to them. And that series is done now, right? They're not doing any more. At least you're not working on it right now. That's it, as far as we know. Try to do it. As much as we could, sales just weren't there. And um, Greg's busy with other stuff. Uh, he does a lot of work with the theater that he is involved with and stuff like that. And so we just kind of put it on the shelf for now. But if people like crime comics, something like Green Hornet, something along that line, it's all available on Comicology, right? I mean, it's still out there. People want to check it out, download an issue. Oh, yeah, definitely. And we just recently, uh, just last year, we collected... The digital stuff that hadn't come out in print, we put them all together, and you can order them on Amazon. People are like the print stuff. You do commissions at cons, and you have your art there available for sale. What do people ask for you to draw the most? I know, like you said, you would draw Conan all day if you had your choice, but what do people usually ask for? A lot of pulp stuff, like Shadow and stuff like that. At Baltimore, I get a lot of. There's a lot of guys that are really into GI Joe, and uh, I get hit up for a lot of GI Joe commissions, stuff like that. I don't know. <laughs> it varies. Definitely varies. I almost hesitate to ask because you'll hear in an upcoming episode when I did ask this question, I got a heck of an answer. What is the oddest commission? you've ever been asked for oof um i don't know well it's not that odd then if it doesn't pop them on <laughs> you know it can't be that well, off the wall some horror stories of guys getting asked to draw all kinds of things <laughs> strange characters hooking up and stuff like that but i've never been no one's ever asked me to do that i don't know someday you'll have a story about some strange commission somebody asked for <laughs> Are there any other projects that you're working on that you can discuss beside, you know, I know there's a Dark Horse coming up that we're going to find out about later on, but is there anything else in the works besides Warlord of Mars Attacks, which, according to my notes, is coming out June 19th. That's the date that I have for when that first issue is coming out. Anything else besides covers? I saw you have some James Bond covers coming up. Yeah, I did a couple of James Bond for the James Bond origin series. I did a couple covers. I'm doing a book with Ryan Wynn for Alterna that's going to be out in September. It's called Gods and Gears. He's writing and coloring it, and I'm doing pencils and inks. Kind of a lighthearted fantasy. It's almost a kid's adventure book. Not for kids, but more of a, like a boys going on adventure in the jungle kind of thing. And they go searching for these ancient gods that um, they believe visited Earth. 
And uh, we have a couple issues in the can already, and uh, it's going to be four issues total. It should be out in September from Alterna. And that'll be cool. That'll be on New Sprint, which is very exciting. But. Oh, yeah. I've had uh, Pedro Sumetti on the show, and I've had folks that work and have done work through Alterna. So that's exciting because I do buy a lot of their books. And I do love that it is on newsprint because there's nothing like the feel of old newsprint. You know, the, the not the glossy paper, but just the newsprint paper and the smell. You know, there's, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, they, I'm almost like a connoisseur of, of the old comics because they have different scents to them. Like the pulp in the paper sometimes smells a little different from book to book. And uh, it just that's part of the experience for me, that smell of newsprint and the tactile feel of it. But I do like those books very much, so I am definitely looking for that. You got a lot going on. I'm glad to see that you're doing a lot of comics. This is fantastic. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm glad too. It's good to... Sometimes, you know, as a freelancer, you go through dry spells and you don't have stuff to do and it's such despair that you're ever going to get in our job. And then sometimes they all come at the same time. So it's, it's a lot of fun. I'm having fun. Since you are a freelancer, and I ask this to freelancers, how do you weather the peaks and valleys of you know the feast, the famine? The, how do you manage to survive when things go into a lull period for you? It's tough. You have to scramble sometimes. I mean, luckily, there's usually a steady stream of commissions for the most part. And so even if you don't have a monthly book to do, you, there's someone out there willing to pay you to do draw something for them. You got to be flexible and take anything that comes along until you can find the one that really fits you and you can really make sing, you know. And, and I would think you have to try to keep yourself out there and strike while the iron's hot. You know, if people really want your own books, you got to take advantage of it and get all the work you can because <laughs> you just don't know what's going to happen next month. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I hope things continue to go well for you. Uh, I'm very happy to see that you're doing all this work. Humble beginnings of like Red Panda and some of these other books. And now I'm seeing like these major properties like John Carter and James Bond and whatever's going to come through Dynamite. I'm all about crime noir and I do like Dark Horse a lot too. So they do some quality books, really good stuff. So I'm really looking forward to that. I wish you all the best. And Dean, thanks so much for being on Creator Talks. Thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Okay, so I'll be back, not next week, but the following. I might even take two weeks hiatus just to get things settled in Las Vegas, get some interviews queued up for you. I do have some guests that I've been talking to to line up for the show, some returning guests and some new guests. So I have a lot of great things in store for you, and I want to bring you the best guests and the best interviews in the months ahead. Until such time, you can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for my Saturday Silver Age and Sunday Bronze Age comics, from my collection, that are going with me to Las Vegas, no question about it. As difficult as it was, I had to thin out my comic collection. I had to reduce the number by about half. Mostly more modern age books I had to reduce, anything post-1990 for the most part. Not some of my favorite comics from more recent times, not from comics from my guests, but unfortunately, I had to part with quite a few. However, it did give me a chance to organize all my books finally and get rid of any duplicates that I had, get everything properly filed and marked at long last. So all of my comics from the Silver Age and from the Bronze Age and from the Copper Age 1980s are all organized, properly bagged and boarded in archival materials. That is, when I have books that are newsprint, old books, I like to put them in my light bags and use acid-free backing boards just to kind of preserve them as best I can. And now I have a small enough collection, I think I can fit them in the new house because there is no basement, there is no attic. I try to really be as efficient as I could and keep those books that really meant something to me 
personally. And oh yes, I left room to add more because I'm not going to stop collecting and I'm not going to stop reading. I just have to change the way I do some things. Probably more of the newer books, most of them I'll be reading digitally just because it's tougher to get to a store for me and I just don't have the space to accumulate that many books. That's just the cold, harsh reality that I'm facing. But my favorite writers and artists I'm still supporting, if not in print, definitely digitally. And by the way, my sponsor, The Comic Book Shop at 1855 Marsh Road in Wilmington, Delaware, where comics are for everyone, just be nice. Well, they do have a portal where you can get your comic books digitally. It's through Comicology. And by going through their portal, they will get credit for the books I purchase through Comicology. So if you are in a similar situation where you cannot get to a comic book shop and you're having difficulty finding space for all of your print comics and prefer to start reading digitally, Please support your local comic shop if they have a portal and help support them. If you have any questions or comments or heck, if you have any advice, you can email me contact at creatortalks.com. That's contact at creatortalks.com. And follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at creatortalkspod. That's at creatortalkspod. Well, thank you for joining me this week for my final broadcast from Wilmington, Delaware, and for what I guess was the 175th anniversary episode. So as always, be good to one another. Enjoy your comics, whether they be digital print or as a collection in a trade. This has been Christopher Calloway for Creator Talks. Until next time.